Welcome to Roll for Topic, a podcast about GMs discussing issues at the table. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And we are joined this week by Matt Wilson. Hi, how's it going, folks? Yeah, so we wanted to bring a guest on just to uh, get some other opinions and also just uh, be able to talk to some of our friends about about some things that they're thinking about at the table as well. Um, so Matt, why don't you, can you just give us a quick rundown of, you know, what games are you you're currently GMing? You know, what's sort of your, your brief history with, um, with running games? Gotcha, yeah. So I... Uh, I've been running games for uh, quite some time, since I was in middle school, which was, oh, 20, <laughs> 25 years ago now. Um, and uh, I'm a one, one game at a time sort of person. Uh, currently, I am in, uh, towards the later stages of a, of a long-running long uh, 7C second edition campaign that uh, Chris actually is uh, a player in. Yes. And I am prepping as we speak for the next game i'm going to run which is going to be a remixed version of pelgrane press's uh eternal lies portrayal oh of fantastic very fun yeah I'm, I'm i'm really looking forward to that i've i've had it for a while i backed it talked to simon about it uh it sounds it's got a really great uh uh response from the community of of cthulhu gms and Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to uh, putting my own spin on it. So. Are you uh, running that with the Gumshoe system? Yeah, I'm actually going to use the uh, the Gumshoe Quick uh, Quick Shock system, which uh, they sort of it's it's not really a second edition because they're going to keep them both around, but it's a re- uh, a many years later refined version of the system that Robin Laws put together for the King and Yellow role playing game, which is oh, coming nice. out in a couple of months. Hmm, interesting. Do you know like what are the major changes with it? Anything? Yeah, um, from my perspective, and we talked about a little bit about this beforehand, but mm-hmm. uh, I've been looking to streamline the mechanical mm-hmm. engine of the system. And as Chris well knows, I, at this point in my GMing career, hate rolling dice. Yes, I'm just done with yeah. the whole thing of rolling <laughs> dice as yeah. as a GM. I mean, I, I'm I'm still gonna roll. For like, if I want to generate something random, randomization is fine. But the whole thing where I'm like rolling a bunch of NPC things behind a screen and yeah. keeping track of all that's just too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's altogether it's... too much for me. Yeah. It's funny that you're running Seven C, a game in which your players have to roll like more I'm fine dice with than players I've ever seen. rolling dice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys have you know knock your socks out rolling dice, but it, it gets weird when I have to do multiple NPCs and roll dice for each of them and all that stuff. Uh, the quick shock system puts all of the dice rolling. It's a player facing system, much like uh, Numenera or the Cipher system, if you're familiar with that, where mm-hmm. the player's roll not only dictates whether or not uh, they succeed, but also the consequences of uh, you know how much they fail by failure. And it also has a really interesting uh, group resolution mechanic where the challenge of an encounter, say, is set up front and uh the party as a whole needs a certain level of success oh interesting so the stronger players in that particular type of encounter can carry the weaker ones but everyone still gets to narrate like how they're bailed out by the machine gun toting you know murder hobo there's always one of those neurasthenic uh person mostly cowers uh behind the scenes but um but yeah, so it's it, it's got a good mix of of retaining the core gumshoe investigative mechanics with streamlining mm-hmm. the dice rolling, 
Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's dive into sort of the the main thing that we do here. Um, and Andy, why don't you, why don't you take over at this point? And yeah. So the way that we do this podcast is at the beginning of the show, we uh, or our guest roll a d10, and we check on our table of random topics to discuss. And that die roll determines what we're going to talk about for the next uh, 20, 25 minutes. Right. So, Matt, if you have a D10, I'm going to need a straight-up D10 roll from you. No modifiers. All right. Well, as a 7th CGM, I have a profound amount uh, <laughs> of D10. Yes. I have yeah. selected my favorite uh, crystalline purple and blue one here. Excellent. I, I have rolled a 6. A but six. What, what manner of topic is a 6? Oh, my friends, the topic you've <laughs> just chosen is how do you use DM screens? Ah, the old DM screen topic. Yes, nice. indeed, yes. This is excellent. I think we all Perfect. have many opinions about this. Um, Perfect. Yeah, so a- Andy, you had actually indicated you were hoping that this one was going to get rolled, so why don't, we, why don't you start <laughs> us off? Yes, I I have a confession, and that is I, uh, I have a GM screen problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I, so marriage and having kids has somewhat... Uh, dampen down this problem but there was a period of time in my life where i was purchasing gm screens for every system i (laughs) owned or even thought i might want to play at some point in the future and uh just a week or two ago i was cleaning out the basement trying to clear out uh, some of my junk and there is like a two-foot stack down there (laughs) of gm screens going back to like the mid early 80s yeah, it was a little sobering to see all of those <laughs> all of those screens down there. I'll be totally honest with you. I have a few GM screens around the house, okay. uh, you might say. How about you guys? <laughs> I I need to know a lot more about your screens before we move on here. <laughs> are they all used or are they are they just is it just a kind of a stack of shrink wrapped GM screens? Uh it's they're mostly used. Uh okay. I'm not gonna lie, there's probably a few shrink wrapped ones in the pile, uh mm-hmm. if I were to look closely. Mm-hmm. But no, I've used them, although I don't necessarily use them for the system that I uh that mm. they're like tied to. Yeah. So for instance I have a lot of like old White Wolf uh GM screens and I don't really run a lot of White Wolf games and never have. Yeah, I don't know. When we as we get into the conversation, we can talk more about this, but mm-hmm. my use of GM screens is not probably their intended intended use. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, intriguing. Yeah. Intriguing. Yes. Uh, so I'll let your imaginations go wild with that. And then, uh, but yeah, Matt, what about you? What's your relationship to GM screens? Uh, that's a good question. So back uh, when I was younger, the only GM screen I had was from the hero quest board game mm-hmm. you, are you familiar with the hero quest board game i think the who is the person that the gm was playing like zoltan the necromancer or something with this <laughs> beautiful 80s you know dnd style uh villainous sorcerer leering out at people and i used to use that for our gurps games and andy i'm exactly in the boat there with you i didn't need the hero quest reference tables (laughs) yes at that point in time but um uh yeah so i i used that in for most of for most of my groups games i didn't use a gm screen at all actually when we played in college we commandeered classrooms and i used the lectern and the chalkboard which was dope, and I really wish that I had one of those in my house still, although it does make you feel like an academic of some type. (laughs) Since then, 
I, I, I bought GM screens for a number of my games. So I have GM screens for like Call of Cthulhu, Trail of Cthulhu, uh, the old 7C, other stuff. But, you know, I found myself constantly frustrated with them. So I bought one of those plastic doodads, and I wish I mm-hmm. remembered the name of the companies. So like I, a customizable GM yeah, screen? Yeah, exactly. It's got pockets on the, both the inside and the outside. And, and that's actually what I use now when I use a GM screen. Uh, for the 7C game, I have you know 7C appropriate swashbuckling art on the outside and a custom uh, inserts on the inside to remind myself of, of things that I find interesting. But one of the constant frustrations with them is that you don't often like what what you need for your game isn't the same thing as what. Uh, the general pool of people might need. So it's definitely an 80-20 thing. And frequently, you're hoping to have at your fingertips the 20% stuff that you don't remember. Mm-hmm. What I'm looking for in a GM screen is is to, to prevent me from having to stop the flow of things at the table and dive back into this 300-page book for an obscure <laughs> rule or yes. table or... Yeah. What does that dueling system let me do again? I've forgotten. So uh, making my own with this sort of insert uh, uh, pocket inserts and pockets was uh, quite helpful. Do you end up actually writing out sort of what appears on each of those um, each of those screens, or do you find a pre pre made resource? Uh, a mixture of both, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the internet is amazing. It's full yes. of every kind of of reference table or or GM advice. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, from thousands and thousands of people who have done who've done this before. <laughs> so. I, I pick and choose. Yeah. Um, for Trail of Cthulhu, uh, I mostly just had it for the art, honestly, yeah. and to like hide die yeah. rolls behind or whatever. So I would actually rotate between Call of Cthulhu and Trail of Cthulhu ones. Cause mm-hmm. it, it didn't matter what was on the inside there. It was mostly just to have the evocative art. But there's a lot of things to remember with 7C. So for that, I have lists of encounters i could have lists of names for a particular nationality where the players are dueling styles forever dueling styles are there yes. <laughs> i noted uh i think last session or two sessions ago you actually didn't have your dm screen yep. with you yeah so was that an intentional choice or you just didn't that's correct yeah um when we took a break in the 7c game that i'm running right now um for october to play spooky gothic horror games I went GM without a GM screen for those because, again, the system that we were playing didn't require me to hide any information from mm-hmm. the players. All of the chancy things were in their hands. All the die rolls were in their hands. Mm-hmm. All of the decisions about what level they were going to engage with the, the gothic horror tropes was mm-hmm. in their hands, not mine. Um, so I had map printouts that I spread out on the table, but mm-hmm. otherwise I was just there to, to, to be the narrator. So what would you guys say is the most useful GM screen that you've ever used? And mm-hmm. I guess you could count your kind of custom-made ones. But So tell us about the most useful one you guys have used and what made it so good. Yeah, I would say it's uh, it's just the customizations that are useful, <laughs> at least for me. So, I mean, the, the 5e game I'm running, that's, that's pretty much the only official GM screen I think I own. Yeah, and that that like most of it is just sort of useless until I added a a, a full page of just random names <laughs> on there. <laughs> yeah, so then when all my players are just asking, you know, like who that goblin was, then I can quickly come up with a backstory with a name. Um, 
then they still proceed to you know kill or torture that goblin but at least it had a name <laughs> yeah because <laughs> cool. yeah, it is like i think when when it's printed by a company you know it's exactly what you said matt like right they're, they're trying to give you enough general information that it can sort of be quasi usable for everybody but then it ends up just being not very usable for everybody i think unless it's the first time you're reading the information one of the most useful gm screens i've ever owned did something that i i don't really see done uh these days and haven't for quite a while but eons ago the old top secret si role-playing game had this gm screen and it was just your typical like late 80s flimsy cardboard screen and I don't even know if it had art. It just had like terrible 80s like graphic design elements on it. But the thing that it did have is it had a player facing, it had player facing information. Oh. So it had in that game, you, it was somewhat important that you know different like modifiers and procedures related to combat. And it had all of those frequently used combat related modifiers on the outside of the screen that the players could see. And I love that. I guess you could accomplish the same thing by giving players a cheat sheet or something in advance. But it was just nice having a reminder of the oft-referenced rules on the outside of the screen for the players to see. Mm-hmm. When I read games like like modern systems, like any modern system that has kind of a highly structured um, approach to its mechanics, like um, Apocalypse World Variants or, or Fate or something such that you often feel the need to make a cheat sheet for your players. I um, I think that would be like the ideal sort of thing to plaster on the front of a GM screen. Were the Was the text on, on that like readable from a distance? I guess like how much information density was on the... It, the it wasn't a ton of information and it's been a while since I've looked at it. But, you know, it's like a medium-sized font. So like, you know, thir- sharp 13-year-old yes. teenager boy eyes could read it okay. These days I probably would not find it all that usable. Um, I mean, if you're sitting across a big table, it wouldn't work. But uh, we were all huddled around in a basement, you know, in a, yeah. a, a creepy little circle of gaming. So uh, yeah. it worked. <laughs> nice. Art is art is uh, is is great for for suggesting an atmosphere, mm-hmm. but frequently, especially in a system where there are frequently asked questions, it would be good to have. Uh, that displayed on in in mm-hmm. some way because cheat sheets are definitely something that i've i've struggled with knowing what the right level of information density is and it's probably yeah. it, it's obviously a similar problem here that's a great idea though because that's one thing you could do with a customizable gm screen is put reference information not just for you but for the players on the other side so that's that's, so, that's something i should consider for sure mm-hmm. yeah i included a map of the game world on the outside of the GM screen for the seventh C stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, it does have that problem of it's a map. So frequently the players on that side of the table will like hunch over and squint at it a little bit. And I'll be like, right, right. I get it. The map's not big enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oops. Yeah. So why do you guys use uh, GM screens? If you use GM screens and it's okay to say that you don't. I use them because, uh, at least in the the D and D games that I'm running, um, they're often you know going through a dungeon, so it's helpful for me to have sort of my notes on one side and then the the, the visible map for them on the other. You know that said, a couple weeks ago I forgot my screen, 
Um, so I had to improvise real quickly just with like a folder and I realized that, you know, for the most part you could kind of get by without it, but it is a nice effect too, I think to just to be sitting at sort of the, the head of the table and you have this, this wall <laughs> in front of you where you are the, you know, the grand master of the game. Like there's something nice about the theatrics of that, I think, um, mm -hmm. which sort of sets the tone at the table, whether or not, you know, whether or not you hold the GM in, you know, high regard or not and whatever, if you have that, that sort of separation between them and the player, um, it can help, help in some ways. Yeah, but it, it, it was interesting. It's like, you know, even a folder was enough to sort of hide the information I needed to, and it worked out fine and everybody still had fun. So it's like, it, it did make me start considering, yeah, do I actually need this this thing at my table? How about you, Matt? I, I agree with Chris. Uh, they're, they're useful for sure if you have hidden information mm -hmm. um, as, as a part of your game. It, the fear of the unknown, right? Like yeah. we don't know what's in this dungeon for sure. Or if you're any running any sort of mystery or investigative game where you have your notes, which spell out the, the, the mystery right in front of you. Um, it is good to have a screen for, for, to conceal that sort of information. And if you are playing in a system where you need to be making roles yourself, to determine what impacts the you know your players are having on NPCs or the NPCs are having on them, and you mm -hmm. want to be able to cultivate an an air of mystery and adventure yeah. around that, uh, uh, either for hardcore you know you're really gonna try and you know let the dice fall where they may, mm -hmm. or if you're you know fudging things for dramatic effect, yeah. it's important to have that that screen there, regardless of which approach you personally take to to NPC roles. Are you guys roll in the open GMs or are do you like to uh, keep some of your roles behind the screen? <laughs> I do it 100% for dramatic effect. Um, you know, I will roll in the open if it's if it's something that they so the, the most recent time I did it was that, you know, they wanted to take a, a rest in a, a, a sort of dangerous location um, in which they shouldn't really have been you know, <laughs> taking time to roll out their um, their their camping supplies. Uh, so for that, I ended up just rolling kind of on a random wandering monster table um, on the table in front of the screen. And everybody sort of like hunched over and was watching that dice as it was <laughs> bouncing around you know, and landing. So it was a really neat like dramatic effect thing. But for the most part, I just roll behind and sort of tell them. Because I mean, like when in D&D &D in particular, like you can get really focused on what the, what the, the number is on the die versus sort of what the narrative effect is. The more you can kind of remove people just seeing numbers adding up and um, equaling things on a table, I think the better. Yeah, I'm a 100% behind the screen roller. <laughs> <laughs> I go to some lengths to cultivate an air of, of trust between me and my players that uh, they know that if I am cheating, it's to make the story better. Yeah. Hmm. Nobody's going to die in a random wandering monster encounter in mm -hmm. my game. If they do die, it will be because they've told me ahead of time they want their character to die. Uh, and, and it will be during a big dramatic scene in the story. Because I, I view my role as I'm facilitating a, a story that will become better if the people telling the story don't know where it's going and what they're up against yeah. at the outset. So I guess that puts me firmly in one of those... New age narrativist uh, role-playing game camps, <laughs> yeah. which, which is fine. Uh, but I, I've kind of always been there, and and I've always done the roles in secret, and I've always done 
done this, even though my players for a very long time were convinced I was trying to kill them at every turn <laughs> frequently because they died. Because, you know, in stories, characters, characters die. Sacrifices are made. I've started moving away as a as a lifelong role behind the screen person. I've been trying to at least moderate that tendency a little bit and start rolling a little more out in front of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of you've brought up a number of the issues that can happen, especially in a game like D and D, where you're rolling everything out in front of the players. But um, what I found happening was if I rolled something. Like uh, if I was rolling behind the screen for monsters and they fumbled or something like that, I was finding the need to like prove to the players that I had really rolled. <laughs> you know, it was such a dramatic uh, role and it was so wonderfully in the favor of the characters that I found myself needing to prove to them by showing them the die roll. So I would like, you know, lift up my screen and show them. And at some point I was like, you know, if I am getting a kick out of that, like charge of seeing me roll a one for the ogre, Mm -hmm. I should just do that out in the open and we can all appreciate it without any suspicion that I've, you know, fudged that roll for the players. Yeah. Yeah, Do you, I mean, this is, I'm getting so off topic, but you know, whatever. Um, Do you, do you fudge rolls, Andy? I do fudge rolls. Okay. I, I, uh, I, yeah. I do fudge mm-hmm. rolls. It tends to be uh, damage-related yeah. rolls. Yeah. Uh, and I I try to keep an eye. I'm I'm not completely like loosey goosey like uh you know only the story matters. Mm-hmm. But that is I do tend in that direction. And so I try to I try to keep an an eye on like character hit points and things like that. And if mm-hmm. if if you know if a goblin rolls some crazy amount of damage or stuff, I I might rein that back in a little bit um for to keep the narrative from getting derailed by something. But yeah. I don't know. I guess I do a a small amount of fudging. How about you guys? I do a fair amount, but mostly in aggregate uh mm-hmm. sort of what I was alluding to before we started to record. I'm I I'm weary of doing a lot of die rolls for, like, if I've got, you know, for dramatic purposes, mm-hmm. say there are 14 goblins, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just not going to roll 14 dice. It's, no. it's too many dice. <laughs> yeah. So I'll roll a couple of sets of dice for, you know, they'll be broken up narratively, you know, mm-hmm. the fighters taking on six of them, the cleric is out there in the front lines of taking on more, you know, I'll, I'll group an average roles based on what i think you know the the dice have told me about the general direction of that and and that's one reason why i have continued to look at systems where the gm just doesn't do any rolling yeah puts that role in the hands of the players that way it's it's out in the open yeah and uh those systems tend to give players tools to mitigate catastrophic failure on their own if you were playing a system like that, uh, would you use a GM screen for its theatrical effect or for the art uh, Again, inspirational effect? Yeah, yeah. That's if there's hidden information, I, I would certainly want one, especially in the early game, early going. I think to have, uh, I would like to have some representational or or, or uh, inspirational art out there, mm-hmm. whether or not it's just on the table, as I did for the Gothic horror stuff, or or on the front of the GM screen, either way is fine. And if it's any sort of mystery game, then there definitely needs to be some hidden information, some concealed area for me to like shuffle through the props or the story outline, even in a system where all the roles are player-facing. So guys, I feel a need to 
pause here because one thing we one thing that's interesting about GM screens, I think, is that they are like a tool that has improved like over the decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting to if you look back at like the early GM screens were like literally just like cardstock like paper. <laughs> uh, and and uh, at some point in like in the 80s or whenever that paper got thicker enough that it could stand up. But I don't know if you guys remember. I mean, I would have to. Uh, a lot of those early GM screens that you'd have to prop them up with like, you know, Mountain Dew cans or something <laughs> right, to keep them exactly. from toppling over. Cause they, they were just flimsy. Uh, they were flimsy. And sometime in like around the turn of the century, uh, some genius st- started this trend of GM screens with like this thicker, like thicker cardboard, whatever the substance totally. is. Uh, and they're, these are wonderful. I mean, I could, yeah, I, I, I feel like that's like, a piece of technology that improved over the years. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it's still, it's still variable. Like it was probably four or five years ago now when I, when I picked up trail of Cthulhu and I got its GM screen and it for, again, for somebody who started role playing in the, in the nineties. Yeah. The, the, the trail of Cthulhu GM screen was on like 200 pound cardboard. It's yeah. very <laughs> glossy and, and, yeah beautiful art on one side and it stood up on its own but then sixth edition uh call of cthulhu came out and i got the gm kit for that and it came with the gm screen of its own and it was on like board game board <laughs> yes. trifold you know yeah. texture you know linen texture on one side and i was like holy smokes that, <laughs> yeah. i thought the other one was deluxe but no nah, th- this is really the deluxe thing so <laughs> It's hard to go back. I mean, once you've experienced that really totally. deluxe GM screen. Have either of you been tempted by like a, a very fancy like wooden <laughs> GM screen? Have you seen those like the bespoke oh, yes. Etsy yeah. ones? I have not seen a, a fancy wooden one though. I'm not surprised they exist. I've oh. been certainly yeah. sorely tempted by uh, the extremely fancy like wooden dice towers mm-hmm. and dice rolling pads and all of that. I. The hobby has definitely gone upscale. Yes, put it that way. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've I've looked at some of those, and um, I'm a I'm a hack woodworker at best, but I, I've thought sure. about making <laughs> making a GM screen for myself, and then then I kind of pause and like, you know, do I really want that in my life? It, it kind of says says you're you're a very particular kind of GM at that point. <laughs> I think if you have have a, a screen, <laughs> sure. Chris, yeah. let's you can be honest. Let's let's not lie, Chris. Uh, yeah. you you do need that in your life. And I do. Yes, <laughs> that's the sort of person you are. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you need to get the uh, wood carving and the little scroll saw mm-hmm. out. So yeah. <laughs> you too can have a, a dragon head rearing up from either end. Yeah. I did make myself a dice rolling box. Oh yeah. Uh, I got crafty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less useful than you'd want it to be at the table, but yeah. <laughs> Are you, are you familiar with a, a parody game called Hackmaster? No. Uh, came out around the turn of the century again. It was produced by uh, Kenzer and Company, or I, I think that's the name of the company. But I mention it because, A, they had like a kind of, it was a parody game based on AD&D first edition. And so they did sort of a parody GM screen that had like all of these extra fold-out charts. <laughs> like it was... It's pretty hilarious. I, I mean, you should Google it just to see what it is. But I mention it because they're the only company I'm aware of that ever made a player screen. So <laughs> they they also nice. made a screen that like you as a player could buy to put like in front of your character sheet, I guess. Um, nice. But uh, I don't. 
really think there's a huge you know market demand for that but it was pretty funny <laughs> nice nice i i've heard of hackmaster i've never actually seen it played or or not actually held it in my hands but i've seen it at, at conventions and stuff so hmm. Yeah, I don't know how I've played some board games that have like little screens for each player. Um sure. and that's that's kind of fun, but I wouldn't <laughs> I just looked up Hackmaster. This uh this looks adorable. It's uh isn't it's... the cover like some parody of the uh yes. classic D D image of Yeah. Yes thieves uh... going up a statue or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how would you guys and and maybe we can wrap up in a few minutes mm. here. Matt, you custom make your own GM screen, so this might be an easy question for you, but uh, what's your ideal GM screen look like? For me, what I want is, what I want ready to hand is sort of that 20%, like we were talking about, like Mm -hmm. most GM screens are tailored to get the most common information about the system uh, in front of of the GM, and that's, that's good when you're just starting, but frequently... Once you've internalized the basic rules of the system, what you need are the like the edge cases or the the things you're never going to remember because it's a table, a lookup table. Like if I were doing D and D and I and I wanted to have wandering monsters, I'd want that wandering monster table there. Yeah, yeah. Or case in point, in like the Seven C system, what I want is uh, a concise summary of the duelist styles, uh, so I remember what they do, or uh, when my players have traveled to a particular realm, I want to have you know names of people who might be there and reminders for what sort of things are going on there in that realm. So what I'm really looking for in a DM screen is uh, uh, to cover the things that I need ready to hand that I'm not going to have just internalized from experience playing the system. That's tough because it's like as soon as you start note taking enough to write it down sometimes then you've internalized it <laughs> at least like yeah it's <laughs> sure, like, sure. Yeah. but you know it's got to be stuff that you know you might be you know two hours into a game yeah. so you don't necessarily remember everything you've written down how about you chris um sometimes i think i wish i just had like four ipads duct taped together for the low low point. price of like fifteen hundred dollars yeah, you yeah, could yeah. do that chris yeah what were you gonna say matt I was going to say that that's actually a really good, uh, I think, adjacent question. Do any of you guys, and we can come back to it, but do any of you guys GM with a laptop? I don't because I would get way, just way too distracted. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to just sort of rule at the table um, on stuff. So if, if I don't know what the ruling is, I'll just make it up and my players are comfortable with that. Um, so yeah, to me, if I had the laptop, it would just be, yeah, distracted trying to look up too many things. Um, yeah, so not for me. I, I'm kind of in the same boat. There's been times over the years where I've had a laptop or players have had laptops, but yeah, I find if, uh, if I have the option to stop the game and search for the grappling rules and waste a lot of time, I will. So it's sometimes it's best to just not give me that option and force me to come up with a rule on the fly, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I can certainly see... I can absolutely see scenarios where, you know, having an, an iPad handy would be really useful. But so far, yeah. I haven't seen that in my games. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I I tried the laptop thing for a while, but like you say, it was... And, you know, searching PDFs is a little laborious, even <laughs> it's, still. It's not good, yeah. It's just not not optimized for that. And yeah. paging around in them is not, not great. So I rapidly realized they were just too much of a hassle to look things up in in real time. And then... 
I don't know, there's something about taking notes by hand at the table that feels really nice. Yeah, um, definitely. Versus typing away or, or whatever. And there's also the temptation where you might have too many things. Um, I've definitely played in a game where the game world was incredibly elaborate, a, a labor of love. It was all on the GM's laptop and mm -hmm. everything was there. And it was, it was again, it was kind of a lookup problem where, mm -hmm. you know, he knew the answer to that question because he'd answered it for himself 10 years ago and had to go find it. I was just going to say real quick. Um, so I ran a, a one shot of, of kids on bikes, um, which was really That's fun. Cool. Yeah. And at one point when we were doing character creation, we needed to pull up, um, you know, like I'd only had one book, but six people needed it. So I pulled it up on, on the iPad and then, you know, sent it to someone so they could have it on their iPhone and stuff. And it was just, it was the hardest thing in the world to use just the PDF on the iPad for searching through stuff. Cause it, it's, even in a game like Kids on Bikes, which, I mean, I think the rules are less than 100 pages, and the character creation part is, like, maybe 10, <laughs> 10 right. of those pages, um, you're just flipping back and forth so much. And it's just like, yeah, you can't quite do that with a with a PDF or an iPad right now. Yeah, so there's something, yeah, like you said, like with paper, um, you know, I do all my note-taking just on note cards, and then I'll, I'll sometimes then I'll go write those up um, on a laptop later. But for the most part, yeah, it's just note cards, and then those get trashed if I don't need them, or they just sit in a stack and then I can reference them really quickly um, at the table. Right. In college, I took notes on a laptop for one of my campaigns oh. and I had like the most labor intensive write-ups yeah. I've, I've ever done. Not that I've ever seen, but that I've ever done. It was like two page reports Yes. after every session to my players, which is the luxury of being in college. Yeah, <laughs> yes, um, for sure. Very, very detailed. On the PDF front, it's 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 weird because I, I've played in a game also where the GM was blind. Uh, it was oh, great nice. great GM. Yeah. But yeah, he had his iPad or laptop and and was somehow vastly better at finding information in a PDF as a blind person than I was as a sighted person. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so it's it is great that they're available in that form. I was gonna say. Uh... Uh, on thinking of interesting things uh, that you see on GM screens, one thing I like, one thing I would like in my ideal ideal GM screen, is uh, like adventure, contextually relevant information that's about mm -hmm. like the thing that I'm running. So if I'm running D and want a map of the dungeon like in front of me, not in like a folder or something that I have to flip pages to get back to the map on. Uh, and in early like early first edition Dungeons and Dragons modules, often the cover was detachable and you could use it as a GM screen. And it yeah. would it would have a map of the dungeon that that module was centered around right there. So you would, I mean, that GM screen was really only relevant to the one adventure, but you would use it, you would use it with that adventure. Yeah. And you don't see that so much anymore. But I have noticed that there are more like third party GM screens out that are keyed to like specific uh, for instance, Dungeons and Dragons publications, at least. Mm -hmm. So I know uh, a couple weeks ago I was running the first part of the um, that Waterdeep Dragon Heist, mm -hmm. and I went out and I bought the. There's a GM screen for just that adventure, and it's got like information on it that is only relevant really if you're running Waterdeep Dragon Heist. But it was kind of neat. It had some like art that was super specific to the adventure on the front, and on the back it had you know uh, random tables and stuff that were specifically key to work with dragon heist and not some other adventure so on one hand it was kind of like you know 15 dollars that i can only use you know for this one adventure but it did 
it was kind of neat. Uh, and it reminded me of those old GM screens that were uh, specifically focused on an adventure. Yeah, that's tremendous. That's a good point. Uh, we're, we're lucky enough to live in an era where these things exist yeah for one yes. but yeah i i do love those old uh, those old modules especially the any module that's good enough to have stood the test of time has a ton of either third party uh supplements like gm screens available for it or or comes with one now i'm a huge ravenloft fan and oh yeah I have like every version of Ravenloft they've ever published, and, <laughs> That's and yeah, that that first that first one with the cover that just comes right off, uh, to have the map on the back. It's really yeah, and that, that one really great. I remember that one because it had like a three D like isometric map. Of yeah, the castle, well, I think right? it was the first isometric map yeah. that anyone had ever. That's seen something. In, that's also that something you don't context. see every day uh, these days. No, but. no, but that is also one of the cool things about having this quad fold plastic one with the pockets is that that company you know will of course host you know fan created stuff so any any good or big enough module tends to have uh you know, some fan who's uh, assembled their own inserts for it and uploaded them definitely customized a few of those for my own current campaign yeah this is well this conversation is making me want to go uh, modify my screen more <laughs> more than i have already <laughs> so it's <was> very fruitful <laughs> um but yeah let's let's go ahead and wrap it up um so Sounds matt I, I i did not let you know this ahead of time i don't think but um one thing we wanted to do with guests is um allow you to replace the topic that we just talked about with one of your own choosing <laughs> um so if you have anything that you're thinking about right now and i'll, I'll stall for you for like a minute too so you can think um you can you, we can do it right now otherwise you can send it to us later and we'll We'll throw it in there with your name, and if it ever comes up again, um, comes up in the role, we'll we'll credit you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. And there's no pressure, but if you don't come up with one, you have to sing us a song. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Let me polish up the old pipes here. Yeah. yeah. And the song has to be "Separate Ways" by Journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> specific request. That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a very specific request, and I don't know that song, so I think I'm going to come up with a topic instead. Okay. Uh, so one of the things I've been thinking about um, a lot with with uh, tabletop games is atmosphere mm. and what tips, tactics, strategies, dirty tricks do mm. people have for suggesting cultivating and maintaining a particular sort of atmosphere okay. um because the sort of default mode and you, you can edit this question yes, down to something right, much more right, reasonable yes. i'm about yeah. to get discursive but the default mode at a table right is sort of like adventurous uh, uh comedy right it's yes. you know it would be a pg-13 uh cut down adventure movie with a lot of mm -hmm. uh, he heavy comedic elements and that's great but, you know, from time to time you want to do something like uh, you want to step out to do like a gothic horror thing or you're playing a uh, Call of Cthulhu game. And it's great to have the comic relief, but you also want to like decide on what the back background level of atmosphere is. Is this actually a game about cosmic terror? Is this pulp adventure? Mm -hmm. What mode are we playing in and how do we bring all of the players along with us? That's a fantastic topic. I, yeah. I run a lot of Call of Cthulhu, and within like 45 minutes, it is always Laurel and Hardy versus Cthulhu uh, basically <laughs> on the table. I've, I've come to accept it and even love it, but it, uh, yeah. but, but sometimes I do wonder, what, 
what would it be like? Just what would it be what like? like? <laughs> and there's, like I said, it's great, and there's always going to be that adventure comedy yeah. slapstick element to it. Yeah. But I'm just, I feel like I've done a decent job communicating like swashbuckling adventure. Mm -hmm. But as I contemplate going back into uh, a Trail of Cthulhu game, I, what I want from it is something I didn't manage to get out of the Masks campaign, which was a particular tone. Mm -hmm. All right, let's add it to the chart. That's fantastic. Yeah, we'll add it, and you'll just have to come back on and keep rolling and see if you can <laughs> see if you can get it. <laughs> Generate it myself. Yeah. Um, all right. I'll well, crash and roll it for somebody else. Like no, 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 no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I fudged the roll. You rolled a seven. Talk yes. about seven. Oh, we haven't even talked about the possibility of fudging the roll here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You guys, you know the oh, uh, the yeah. format of audio kind of provides a sort of uh, oral uh, GM screen of a sort. So you'll have That's to trust true. us that we're not fudging this roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always trust your GM. You know they have your your best interests in mind. <laughs> Usually, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, this has been roll for topic. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was super great. Um, and yeah, no we, uh, if we keep doing this, I hope we can come back on again sometime. Sure thing. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. I like talking about tabletop games. Yeah. All right. Anytime. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for listening.